I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You scared money don't make no money. Scared money don't make money. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. We've switched things up for this episode, doing a bi-week special. Tonight, we welcomed on Chase Mumau, a former Virginia Tech quarterback that absolutely crushed it. He gave in-depth analysis on every aspect of the program. Somehow, we even mentioned Oscar Bradburn and Camo Crocs, which is my pipe dream. But in all seriousness, everyone listening right now, give Chase a follow if you love Virginia Tech football, and be on the lookout for some occasional podcasts like this one. And as always, guys, we appreciate you taking the time to listen, whether you're on your way to work, working out at the gym, ignoring your significant other's calls, which I don't recommend, but please enjoy this podcast. I just flipped the switch. We have a very special guest on tonight's edition of the podcast. VT Scoop is proud to welcome on former Virginia Tech quarterback Chase Mumau. I believe he has the highest QBR in VT history. Chase, how's it going tonight? It's going well. I think I do have the highest QBR in history. With, uh, I believe it's like 284.1, something like that. But I'm sure there's a spare running back or receiver. Sam Rogers actually might be two for two in his career, too. So we might be tied. Yeah, I was thinking about that one, too, because he has the touchdown passes on you. But uh, you're still up there. That's okay. Yeah, it's still up there. Still in the record book. And we also got Evan tonight who made time despite his busy schedule. What's going on, E? Uh, I can't complain. How's it going? It's good. It's good. Before we really dive into the thick of it, Chase, I do have a really funny story about the Camping World Bowl against Oklahoma State. So Evan and I were actually down there, and we were on the sidelines covering the game. And before the game kicked off, we're just walking around, kind of seeing what's going on, seeing who's warming up, everyone's stretching and whatnot. And then we see you with the 95 jersey on. And for some reason, I didn't think anything of it. And, you know, there were a couple assistants kind of giving us the eye and, and saying, don't say anything, and still thought nothing of it until the second half when I saw you go out there for your, uh, your pass. And uh, all of a sudden, before that play kicked off, I'm like, Oscar Bradburn's not in there. I'm used to seeing that 91. I, I pay attention on fourth downs. So, uh, yeah, I, as soon as you get, you trotted out there, I, I knew it was going to be a, a fake punt pass. I want to know, how long were you practicing that? And when you got out there, were there any nerves? Uh, so we had been practicing it for, I believe, two weeks. Um, the pass was originally supposed to go to Tremaine, where Chagag was at in the uh, formation. Um, but I think Tremaine had gone down with uh, maybe an ankle injury or was getting his ankle taped or something. So we kind of went to plan B with it with Chagag in there. But, yeah, the whole it was a whole ordeal. I mean, they changed my, my position. They changed everything on Hopi Sports to 
long snap or what? I don't, it wasn't long snap. It was just that holder. Um, and they changed my number to 95 on there. And it was this whole ordeal before the game. So we're like, where's 18? Why is 18 not there? And, uh, some, some of the guys said that they had lost my jersey or, or something. So that's why I was wearing 95. And, um, so I, I warmed up in the locker room. I didn't warm up with the quarterback. I was sitting down with, um, Oscar and Brian and, um, Colton Taylor, who was a long snapper at the time. I sat down with them all pregame. Majority of pregame, I just watched Mason Rudolph warm up because I didn't have anything else to do. Um, Coach Chivas told me not to not to warm up because they didn't want to see the number 95 throwing, so I warmed up in the locker room. Um, it was probably the boringest pregame of my career at Virginia Tech because I did not warm up with the quarterback, so I kind of just sat there and observed. Um, but yeah, it was it was dialed up perfectly. I wasn't expecting to get hit on the play. Um, I actually did. Ricky Walker was technically my personal protector, um, but there was three guys that came, and you know, he can't block three with one guy. So one of them got to me, and uh, just was able to get it off to Chicago down the sideline. Didn't even grab the laces; just kind of grabbed it. Took two or three steps to the right, and then just he Chicago came down with it. I didn't think Dylan Stoner was going to make the play or the tackle. But uh, he came up and made a big one. Otherwise, it would have been tied with Sam for a touchdown mark with one. Hey, Chase, was, was there ever an option in there for you to punt it? I mean, if, if was there a plan C or was it just disaster plan if that happened? It was just disaster plan. I mean, it, it, there wasn't a punt it. Um, we, we had schemed it up to the point where we knew they weren't going to notice. Like, I legit took off my rib protector. I literally did the same mannerisms as Oscar did to make it look identical. And there wasn't a single soul on that punt return team that knew it anything different. So we, we weren't expecting them to, you know, come with an all out blitz or a punt block or anything. We knew that they were going to be in a return and they were, and uh, it was just able to work out, but there wasn't, no, there wasn't a plan C. I mean, I would have had to ad lib it on the fly. Mimicking Oscar, that's um, that's a Matei dream right there. I mean, that's, his, that's his guy. If you got to mimic Oscar, if Matei can mimic Oscar for 24 hours, I think his life would be complete. Yeah, listen, he, he is a great dude. He lives a great life. He has an Australian accent, gets all the girls in Blacksburg with it, <laughs> drinks all the beer he wants. You know, he, he, he is living the dream. He, he reminds me of the, uh, the kicker from The Replacements, the dude that goes out and smokes a cigarette on the field and sets it down and then kicks it. You know, that, that, that reminds me a lot of Oscar Bradburn. This is music to my ears 100%. right now. I want to I have a whole podcast dedicated to each one of his tattoos. <laughs> I mean, his tattoos are incredible. I mean, it's hilarious because in Australia, in America, you're not allowed to get a tattoo if you're drunk or if you've been intoxicated or been drinking any kind of alcohol, whereas in Australia, they don't care. So the majority of his tattoos, he doesn't even remember getting. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the majority of the story is just like, oh, hey, I got Tony the Tiger on my ankle. I didn't realize I got that. Whereas in America, you know, they, they kind of check for that stuff because they don't want you to fall out if all the blood that you, you're losing. So the mystique of Oscar Bradburn continues to grow. Hey, I love it. I, I, I'm on record saying for what he has to do, he's the best overall player on the team. And as much as I'd love to talk about him all night, I do want to reel it in a little bit and dive into some of the quarterback play, your expertise. Obviously, a lot of us expected big things out of Ryan Willis this year. 
But whether it's due to injury or, quite frankly, poor play, uh, we haven't seen that. And then Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson, who have predominantly had run packages, have come in and have done a remarkable job in the offense. So just from your perspective of being a quarterback and in the system of Justin Fuente, do you think that these results are based off having a dual threat quarterback? Or do you think it's just the natural talent of both Hendon and Quincy that are paying dividends early on? I definitely think the dual threat factor is really helping our offense out at the present moment. Uh, with Willis in there, defenses were able to know that he, he the majority of the time he wasn't going to run, so they didn't have to worry about spying him. They didn't have to worry about running with him on read option plays like that, where as Quincy and Hendon get in there, and you have to worry about their leg threat. I mean, they're not as a threat in the passing game, but they are. I mean, both of them are phenomenal athletes, as you guys have seen. I mean, Hendon is more the agile, faster of the two, whereas Quincy's more of the thumper. Who, I mean, he, he even showed his wheels in that um, that long touchdown scamper he had 53 yards or whatever it was against UNC. I mean, that hole opened up perfectly. The, the most beautiful part of that play was the offensive line. The offensive line blocked it up perfectly. He was able to hit the, the cutback seam, and the two safeties actually ran into each other coming to make the play. I believe it was Chad Surratt coming from the inside, who actually used to play quarterback at UNC. is now their leading tackler at safety, but I mean, both those guys, they're, they're tremendous talents. They have a ton of athleticism. Both of them need to get better in the, in the passing game. Um, with Quincy in there, the I didn't watch the game live. I had to go back and watch the tape because I was at the, the Penn State-Michigan game. But from what I saw when Quincy got in there, I mean, we were pretty, pretty one-dimensional for the most part. Granted, UNC could not stop it. I mean, Quincy ran quarterback power. Quincy ran quarterback zone. And Quincy threw a fade ball. And that, that was our offense for the last, I mean, I think it was in there a quarter and a half maybe plus overtime. So I think being able to diversify our offense with those two guys in there will definitely help us become even more explosive for future games to come. Chase, walk me through a little bit. Uh, being being a quarterback at Virginia Tech under Justin Fuente, how involved is he? How you know how is it with Brad Cornelson on a typical week? You know, kind of go through the ins and outs of it. How involved is 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 Fuente with the quarterbacks? Who is not that involved with the quarterbacks, as most people would think? I mean, he's in there. They have their staff meeting generally right before the quarterbacks come in and come into the quarterback meeting. We'll interact with him there. But, like, one-on-one, the only time I really coach the quarterbacks is on the field. Um, he doesn't have a lot of sitting in the film room with them unless, you know, when Josh was here, he used to tell me, you know, with, he'll sit down with the starters on – Sundays after the game and just go through the tape with them and basically grade grade the performance with them sitting there. Um, but other than that, he really is kind of hands off and lets Corn do do his thing with the quarterbacks. Um, I mean, a lot of people have talked about Fu calling plays and whatever, but I mean, Fu and Corn are like brothers. The two of them. I mean, if one's going to be gone, both of them will have to be gone. So Fu kind of takes his hands off the quarterbacks and kind of just lets Corn do his own thing. And Fu kind of just oversees the whole operation of the offense. Yeah, it sounds like he's more in that CEO role. But uh, speaking of Brad Cornelson, obviously getting a lot of heat this year, maybe not so much in the last three weeks after victories. 
It seems like a lot of people are questioning his play calling, especially when Ryan Willis was in the game. What do you see from him? Like, what's your take on how Brad Cornelson's calling the plays? Would you do anything differently? I think in the passing game, he could become more versatile. In the run game, our offense is pretty set in stone. You're going to see power, you're going to see zone, and you're going to see counter. Uh, We don't really have too many other wrinkles in there that we throw in. Um, The reason that our offense has been successful the past couple weeks is because we haven't been rotating offensive linemen in and out. In In our zone scheme, everybody's got to do their own job. And if they don't know who's next to them or what their strengths and weaknesses are, they don't know how to block it up. And that's why I said that Quincy run was just beautiful by the offensive line because you had two double teams from the right spot. You had the, the tackle base in the end, and it was just beautiful all the way across. Um, in, the, in the passing game, though, it definitely could get more, more technical, more efficient. I mean, the majority of the time you're going to see a fade thrown, you're going to see a hitch, you're going to see an out route, or you're going to see a curl. Every single time, that's, that's generally what you're going to see from what Corn calls, especially now that Willis is out with Quincy and Hinton in there. Two guys who don't have a lot of experience in collegiate football, so he's trying to dumb the offense down even more than it normally was um, and just make it easy for them to make read one guy and make a decision rather than have them sitting back there getting their feet all out of whack and then throwing the ball off their back foot because they're trying to read the safety, the mic, and the defensive end if they're in a 3-4, dropping out underneath or something like that. So a lot of it has to do with the quarterbacks that are in there. He is trying to make it as easy as possible for them. But he could could throw in a a couple different wrinkles here and there. How do you feel about the way Virginia Tech started using the tight ends a few weeks ago and the development um, kind of in that aspect of the offense? Well, I mean, James Sheebus was always a good dude to me. He used to always poke his head in the quarterback meetings. He's like, throw it to the tight end. He was, <laughs> he was yeah, you know. And uh, But he, he's always been a good dude. He, he, he loves his special teams. Like, special teams is his baby. He takes pride in special teams. That's what he spends most of his time on. But he also loves his tight ends, and he honestly has, I mean, since I've been a Virginia Tech fan, he probably has, other than, you know, Logan Thomas and Greg Boone back in the day with the wild, wild turkey or wild hokey, whatever they called it, I mean, they probably have the most talented tight end room that we've had ever in Tech's history. I mean, you got Ryan Mallett, too. Uh, but just James Mitchell being the pass catcher that he is, Dalton being the blocker that he is, Nick Gallo is going to be somebody that's going to come and play a lot of snaps here for us. He's a really intelligent guy, just like his brother, Eric, who played center here a couple of years ago. But, I mean, I, I watched that offensive tape after the game. And I was like, I love the motion. I love Dalton being in the backfield, even getting some carries here and there. I love him being back there because now defenses don't, like, they have to stay honest with him back there. Normally, they would just keep him back there in protection. But if they're handing it off to him, you don't really know. It's not a telltale sign that you're throwing the ball when the tight ends in the backfield. But James Mitchell catching the ball has been a pleasant surprise this year, too. He came into his own. They're really using him a lot. They're motioning the two of them around a lot, which is always good. It helps the quarterback because you can see if somebody's running with them. If nobody's running with them, you know it's automatically a zone. If somebody runs with them, you know you're most likely getting man. So you're getting some indicators here and there. So it's also helping the quarterback out and tight ends are always tight ends and running backs for young quarterbacks are, are the key to success. 
if you don't have to throw the ball outside of the hashes, you can dump it down to those guys, and they catch the ball and make plays for you. That's always going to be a positive for your offense. I am curious, and and this is more of uh, an opportunity for the public to get to know what it's like in the locker room, but it seems like Justin Fuente has been widely criticized for his lack of emotion. And as a former player, you've seen the good times, you've seen the bad times, and it seems like everything seems to be world ending when things aren't going right. And, you know, a lot of people taking to social media to, to bring down his character, but in your experiences in the locker room with the head coach, what do you think is the real definition of who Fuente is? So Fu is a very emotionless coach. I mean, before the game, he, he'll be a great motivator. He'll get you going. But when it comes game time, he's never somebody that reacts to the highs or the lows. Now, some people will look at that and say, you know, like, like my, myself personally, I would much rather see him show emotion which he has the past couple weeks. I mean, you see him in the locker room with his hat turned around backwards. You see him jumping up and down on the field in the UNC game. Just showing emotion just shows your players that you truly care about him. You look at the best coaches in the country. You look at Dabo Sweeney. You look at Nick Saban. Nick Saban, granted, I mean, the majority of the times he has his arm crossed, but when there's big plays made, he, he puts a smile on his face, something. You know, even Bill Belichick smiles after he um, – Took a delay of game penalty. I don't know if you guys saw this. Took a delay of game penalty in their uh, uh, Monday night game against the Jets. Took a delay of game. They declined it. Then made one of his guys on the punt team false start just so they could try and get that five yards back. And then he started chuckling because they were going to charge him 15-yard penalty if they did it a third time. But, I mean, even the best coaches, the best coaches, they have a way of connecting with their players and showing that emotion just shows the players that are out there on the field playing their tails off, all that hard work that you've done, that your coach cares about you. Now, Fu, he, he cares about all of his players. Like that's, He definitely cares about his players, whether or not you know you, you see him out there smiling or you know jumping around with his guys. I would love to see him do it more. It seems like he's starting to do it more. Um, but he's just not one of those guys. He's a very, very, very still kind of guy that – I mean, he just doesn't show emotion. He's just an emotionless guy. And that can be a good thing, but it also can be a bad thing at times. What about off the football field? You know, how away from football, was he the same like that? Or was he more open uh, with players off the football field? So I see, I work out at Blackbird Country Club, and um, all the coaches live out there. So I see Fu on a regular basis. I mean, the other day I was down there hitting balls and he comes up behind me and previous weekend I'd been up at Maryland and uh, Josh Jackson had given me a, a hat. So I was wearing this hat at the driving range. He comes up behind me, just giving me all kinds of crap about my swing and all this stuff. And he was with his wife and his daughters outside of football. Generally he's, he's like, to me at least he's, he's just a really down to earth guy, especially when he's with his family. Um, just very down to earth. I mean, the allure of the head coach at any college is kind of, you know, nobody wants to just walk out to Coach Fuente and say, hey, coach, you know, I'm so-and-so, unless you, you know him. Like, but, I mean, he, he'll generally talk to anybody that comes up to him. He's a very personable person. Um, but, I mean, he's all business. When, the, when it comes to football, he's all outside of football. He's very family-oriented, loves his wife, loves his kids, um, you know, loves his roots. 
always wearing cowboy boots, always Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Um, but outside of football, he, I mean, he's grew up with football his entire life. So he's, he's very football oriented, but outside of football, I would say he's more family oriented and cares about, you know, growing himself as a father and a father figure of other players outside of the locker room. That is interesting, both sides of, of his personality there, that when he's on the football field, all business. But And I will say to your point about being all Oklahoma, I have seen him wear camo Crocs one time, so I hope he brings that up more. I'm a big proponent of camo Crocs. But going back to the last year, when times were tough. I mean, it was the first losing season in over two decades. The locker room seemed to be tearing each other apart. Uh, What do you attribute that to? What do you think was the biggest reason that there was so much success in the first two years under Fuente, and then all of a sudden, everything hit the fan? I think it was trying to find leadership. I said it earlier this year on ESPN Richmond when I was talking to those guys. I was just, you know, the we we don't have any leaders or we didn't have any leaders. I think there are some guys that are starting to step up now. And from last year, his first two years, the majority of the roster were Beamers guys. A lot of Beamers guys, you know, had that grit, had that chip on their shoulder and knew what it was to play for Virginia Tech, what the tradition was, every, you know, all that stuff that comes along with playing football here. And now you bring in this new wave of guys. It's also a new generation. Or some people, you know, you got all these recruiting people saying that, you know, they're the almighty and they get here on campus and they, they do that. They continue their heads just really big. Um, but at the same time, some, I mean, there's always going to be turnover. You also have to get your own culture into the locker room. I think you're starting to see that now. They're finally who's starting to get all of the guys that he wants on the team and his, his own way. Um, but the culture was the issue last year. We also didn't have a, I believe, a starting quarterback that they really wanted to rally around. Um, I think that's why you're starting to see, you know, with Quincy and Hendon getting some new, bringing some new life into the team. Um, and, and that's something that guys can rally around because, you know, if you have just stagnation and no production at offensively, you know, the defense is going to be down because the offense is playing bad, and then the offense is going to be mad at the defense. And it's just not a good situation. So I think this year you're getting a lot more cohesion and yelling, which is showing and improving out on the football field. You know, now that, now that the bye week's coming up, obviously a big test coming up against Notre Dame, but after that, a couple ACC games to close out the season, how do you feel Virginia Tech's offense is going to take a step forward over the next few weeks? And kind of what are you – what are key areas do you think that the fans should look at to see uh, if there is true growth underneath the, you know, this offense right now, or if it's just a byproduct of a dual threat quarterback? I think you need to see the quarterbacks become more, uh, how do I want to say this, more accurate with the ball and be able to throw different types of passes other than a fate. You know, I, I sit there and I watch, I watch us and, you know, my high school, at my high school, we were under center, we were pistol, we were shotgun, we we were multiple. And you look at Virginia Tech, and I mean, granted, I played in the system. I would know how to stop our offense. And I sit there and I watch us play, and I just, I'm befuddled on, on how the opposing defensive coordinator can't stop a zone play or can't stop a power play. 
or just just little facets. We just need to be more diverse in order to. Granted, we've had had some big wins. Like the UNC game was a big win. The Miami game was a big win. Granted, it's not very often you get spotted twenty eight points in a game, but I mean, it's when we get up you see the play calling just start to go down or you see the same thing over and over and over because you don't want somebody to make a mistake. And we need to get to the point where we're not just hanging on, we're putting the teams away. You know, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen the, you know, even, I mean, the Miami game, I didn't, like I said, I didn't watch the UNC game, but from what I've heard, I mean, it, from what people told me, UNC kind of, I just don't even know what happened in that game. Honestly, UNC, I've heard UNC, Played, played to win the game, and then Tech just happened to win the game, or UNC shot themselves in the foot, and, you know. But, I mean, just seeing our offense and seeing our defense come together as one unit, be up in a game, and then put a team away without there being any doubt that they're going to come back in the game is what I'm trying to see the rest of the season and the rest of the way out. There's going to be a couple – couple tough games in there. I mean, Notre Dame, of course, is going to be a tough one on the road. I mean, Pitt's got, Pitt is always a tough game just because of the way they play defense and their running game. Um, and then, of course, UVA at the end of the year. So we'll see what we're made of these last couple weeks. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now it seems like the quarterback situation has become a lot more interesting, and predominantly we've talked about Quincy Patterson and Hendon Hooker, just because of how much success they've found so far. Obviously, a ton of room to grow. It it looks like that Hendon is going to be healthy moving forward, that his injury won't keep him out for an extended period of time. If you were coaching Virginia Tech, how would you handle the quarterbacks heading into Notre Dame and then after that? That's a really good question. I mean, both guys who came in there and I mean, Quincy, Quincy made that one throw that he had, that fourth and three to tie the game up in overtime. That's, that's big time. I mean, or I don't even know if there's overtime or to go to overtime, one of the two. Um, but I mean, that, that's, that you, you can't teach those, those type of, um, fundamentals or that, that type of moxie in a quarterback. But I mean, Hendon's played well as well. I mean, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be good for, the competition between the two of them. Um, Quincy is more of the power runner. He's not as polished of a passer as Hendon is. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see if one of them makes a mistake, if the other guy comes in or, you know, I, it, for me, I would put Hendon out there just because, you know, he has the more career career starts now. Granted, it's two to zero. Um, but, Going to Notre Dame is a tough environment, and as much experience as possible uh, is what I would go with just because it's going to be a tough environment. It's probably going to be cold, and you're, you're going to need somebody that the team's going to rally around to be out there. And both of those guys are those type of leaders. 
but you got to go with the guy with more experience in that type of big situation. If you could call it today, make a prediction the rest of the season, how do you think Virginia Tech's season ends up? Well, I didn't think that they would win the UNC or the Miami game. So I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame. I think they hang around the majority of the game, and then Notre Dame's size and athleticism just kind of wears it down by the end of the game because their offensive line is a bunch of maulers. Our defensive line is relatively small. Um, so I don't think we win the Notre Dame game. Wake Forest, I thought they were really good for an extended period of time there, but the past couple of weeks they really – and they barely beat Florida State. They lost lost to somebody there. I don't remember who it was. Um, but Jamie Newman's a good quarterback, and we've seen how susceptible our pass defense is. So Dave Clawson's going to really try and sling it around on us. So we're going to have to tighten that up. So I could see us scraping out a win against Wake Forest or potentially going 0-2 there. I see us beating Georgia Tech because they have a triple option quarterback running a pro-style system. That should be a, a, an easy win. Uh, Pitt is going to be a tough game. I, I can see us winning that. We're going to have to beat Pat Narduzzi runs four press, which is basically cover four, but presses the corners. And regardless of how bad his corners are getting beat, he doesn't change. As we saw in 2016 when Gerard Evans threw literally the, the same play to Bucky and Isaiah and Cam over and over and over again. Um, so we're going to need to make plays against corners in that one. If we make, make plays on them, we will win. Don't and Pitt possesses the ball with the running game and Kenny Pickett uh, continues to be Alex Smith and managing game. Um, Pitt will win that one, so that one's a toss-up. And then UVA, UVA is going to be tough just because their defense is a three-four scheme, and for young quarterbacks, that's challenging because you, you add a Jack in there or a dog, which is what Sue and them talk about, and their dog is. Um, Snowden, number 11, who's like basically a skinnier Tremaine. And it's going to be difficult and make life difficult for whoever's playing quarterback to read him because he's going to be in the flat on a lot of the backside throws. Um, so that one's going to be a tough game. It's going to be at UVA. It'll probably be a night game because ESPN or whoever broadcasts the game thinks that UVA is going to win it. it. happens every year. You know, they want to be the ones to broadcast the – the game that UVA they broke the streak, so that'll be another big, big uh, game there for our team and our quarterbacks. But if I had to guess, we get it, we get Wake, we get hit, we get Georgia Tech, we lose Notre Dame, we lose UVA. So probably somewhere in there, three and two or two and three is what I have that's going the the rest of the way out here. Losing the UVA would be, uh, you know. Virginia Tech will lose UVA at some point. That streak won't go on forever. Um, but, you know, for me, UVA, I think their defense is really good, but I think everything has to run through that quarterback uh, and the way he plays. If he's healthy, I think Virginia Tech's defense is going to have a little bit of trouble with him. But if he's not healthy, the, I think I think the Hokies will probably have a chance to turn it into a bit of a shootout, which I think is, is something a lot of Virginia Tech fans may, may not want to hear. But... You know what? What are your takeaways from their quarterback play right now? I think he's, you know, he, he's he seems, in my opinion, not he, he's kind of unorthodox, um, but it, it works, and, and he he definitely makes some big plays. So, you know, what do you think? Have you watched UVA a lot this year? 
I watched them a few games. I watched them in that Miami game. I'm trying to think of another one that I watched. I watched them in two or three games, but like you said, Bryce Perkins is very unorthodox. I mean, I've never, his mechanics are incredibly awkward to me. He has a hitch in his throw and I mean, he makes it work because their, their offensive scheme is very RPO oriented, just like ours is. So he makes it work. He also has great wheels, which is always a positive for any quarterback in college football, especially running the RPO offense. But their defense is what scares me. It's not necessarily their offense. Losing Bryce Hall is huge. I mean, Bryce Hall is a great cornerback. Probably first or second round draft pick if he didn't. Maybe tore his ACL or hip or something. So he's out for the year. But, I mean, and I could definitely, like you said, I could see it being a shootout just because our defense isn't necessarily the same lockdown defense that we've had in the past. And we've been able to score some points. And everything for us is, or like, our success is based off of our running game. If we get any kind of running production from whether it's our backs, our receivers, and even our tight ends sometimes, or end around to Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, whoever, everything's oriented off the run game. If we can continue to get success in the run game, we'll win as many games. I mean, we'll win. We might, might be able to squeak out Wake Forest. We might be able to, you know, beat Pitt, beat, beat some of these teams. It's all going to come down to the running game. But back to the UVA game, I think just being in Charlottesville, it's going to be a, I mean, granted, Scott Stadium is not, is not South Bend. It's not Miami back when, you know, three years ago or two years ago and they were 10 and 0 and we went down there and game day was there. But I mean, the fan base is going to be excited because they still think they can win. They think this is going to be the year. They thought last year was the year. If it wasn't for two fumbles, two fluke plays, they would have won last, last year. Um, so it, it'll be a good one. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I hope. Hope isn't the year. Hope the streak goes on for forever. But like you said, I mean, at some point they're going to get one from us. And I don't know if this will be the year or next year. But I mean, from, I could just say from the beginning of the year to now, I definitely think we have a better opportunity to win in that game than we did to start the season. This might be an unfair question. And granted, I don't think this is how the season's going to go from here on out. But just curious from a former player's perspective, if Virginia Tech were to lose every game and win against UVA or win every other game or win enough games to make a bowl game but lose to UVA, which one of those would you rather take? Win, win against UVA. Win against UVA all day, every day. I'd much rather beat UVA than go play in the, you know, bad boy lawnmowers, gas <laughs> bowl in Tampa. I'd, I'd much rather beat UVA, hands down. Me and Matei could go tear up some bowl games in Tampa. Good. I've, I've heard some, some good things were there. Yeah. I mean, the bowl games are good for us because we get an opportunity to go on a mini vacation. But I've always wondered because of how much it's publicized about the bowl streak, it feels like it doesn't mean as much to the players. Obviously, you want to make a bowl game. You want to go out the right way for the seniors. Um, but I've always wondered, you know, which which takes – you know, which one's more important? And obviously, I get the feeling that UVA is obviously more important. You want to show your dominance in the state. You want to continue to treat the other in-state school like a little brother. Uh, it's kind of a no-brainer for, for any player you kind of talk to. But it's just interesting that the fans kind of take it to the next level. They're always like, well, if we go to a bowl game, then our season's a, a success. 
Well, I mean, it's no different than, you know, the, the sack and the interception, whatever streak since Bud Foster's been here. I mean, everybody says this is DBU. This is, I, that is one argument that I, I will never agree with of any Virginia Tech fan is that this is DBU. Like, look at, you know, LSU. Look at Florida. Look at Bama. Like, that, that's just one thing. Like, this, Virginia Tech is not DBU. Yes, we've had some great cornerbacks throughout the years, but I mean, when's the last time? Kyle Fuller, Kendall Fuller was the last time, you know, one of our second secondary, whether safety or cornerback, got drafted that early in, in the first or second round. So, I mean, Virginia Tech, we just got to defensively, we need to, we need to shore up the, the pass defense for sure. And not having Reggie for the first half of last game, I, I mean, he's the leader of that secondary for sure. I, I've, been kind of disappointed in Diablo. I used to call him when I played. I used to call him Baby Cam because, I mean, that dude. He's just rangy. He's huge. He's fast. But ever since he broke his foot on that interception, I believe it was two years ago against ODU, something like that. Ever since that happened, he's never been the same. And I mean, we just we got to get over that. You know, this is BBU. We got to become more of a. Um, uh, our defense is not. One person can't take away one person. Everybody's got to play together in order to be successful. So, and Tamari Connor is a, a great talent that I've seen this season. He's really stood out to me on that in that uh, that whip spot for us. How do you think about, or what do you think about Caleb Farley? You think Caleb Farley has a chance to continue that that DBU? I mean, he's uh, he's gotten a lot of people have tested him. I think he gave up one completion against UNC in the half that he was in. Game before that, I think he also rated uh, graded out really high. I believe he just made one of the national lists as one of the top corners in the country through half of the season. You know, do you think he might be a guy to continue that tradition of DBU and maybe be somebody that gets drafted? I think Caleb could be. Yes, Caleb is a freak. I mean, ever since he got here, I remember watching him run in morning practices or any kind of workouts, and that guy can burn. I mean, I. I was sad that they took him to the defensive side of the ball. I want to hurt him. I mean, that first spring game was my first. Is that my first spring game? Yeah, uh, that was my second spring game. I mean, he he went off in that spring game, but, I mean, he, it just goes to show his versatility. I mean, that kid, he's been through so much, too. Like I, I always have my hat off to Caleb Farley because he's everything with his mom. and I mean, it's tough being in college, playing football, going through something like that. It's just, I mean – a normal person who doesn't have to get up up at five thirty in the morning, go work out. I mean, that's that's incredible, and I'll always have my hat off to him. I definitely think of our DBs. He is definitely one, or cornerbacks, I should say. He is definitely one that could go on to play at the next level. He has continued to get better each and every game, and he's learning. He's really gotten into flood defense. We'll see what happens and who comes in. Um, to be the defensive coordinator when Bud leaves, but he's definitely the best corner on our team. Waller has taken a, a few steps forward as well. Um, I really, really wish that they would just keep Waller and uh, Farley out there and not sub in Quillen um, because sometimes Quillen can just be a liability. He gets beat deep sometimes. So Waller, Waller and Farley are two really strong corners that we have that are going to continue to get better the more and more rest that they have in game all right chase uh, i think we're going to cap it off there taking up a lot of your time tonight 
But thank you so much for your wonderful insight. It's truly been a pleasure. But I do want to give you an opportunity if you have anything coming up that you'd like to shout out, whether you'd like to plug yourself, uh, things to look out for, just, you know, do your thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just just kind of been hanging out doing my own thing, talking on ESPN Blacksburg, ESPN Richmond. Um, just catch me whenever. But Black, Andrew Wallace, give me a call every once in a while. Um, looking to get into NFL player personnel once I get out of here. And then once I'm done with that, I'm going to go pursue a career with ESPN, do some sports media stuff. So anybody that, you know, listens that might know some people in the NFL, give me, give me a holler. I'll always appreciate the connection. Hey, we really appreciate your time taking it up tonight to talk to us about, uh, about some aspects of, uh, you know, playing under Fuente and, and some former player thoughts. I think, uh, I think the fans are really going to dig it. You got it, gentlemen. Anytime, just let me know. I'll do it again. I just flip the switch. Flip, flip. I don't know nobody else that's doing this. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.